good to have Mike fill in uh, and be back. Uh, gives Michael and Renee a chance to take a break, and I appreciate the fact we've got so many people who are willing to get involved and are talented enough to do so. So uh, if you appreciate that, you can applaud, you can hold your breath, you can do whatever you want. Satchel Page was probably one of the greatest baseball players that ever played the game. Unfortunately, many of us don't even know who he was, and that's because uh, Satchel Page played in what was then known as the uh, Negro League. And this was before black athletes were, well, before black athletes crossed what they called the color barrier in professional sports. Uh, Satchel Page, one of the ongoing debates about Satchel Page was how old was he? And even in baseball, historical books and things of that nature that keep track of such things, there's still debate as to how old he really was when he was born. And uh, it, this was an, when he was born, what did I say? How old he was when he was born? You know, this is good because this is a good, see this side over here just broke up. Now you over there are gonna have to catch up with the program here. There must be like, you know, is, is it like a time zone difference here? Um, well, I, I'm not sure how, how old he was when he was born, or when he was born and how old he was. But anyway, the point of the matter is, let's not get sidetracked on little things like that. Um, what was the point? Oh, the point was that uh, as he was continually asked by reporters how, how old he was, uh, he responded with this classic question that he threw back to the reporter. He said, let me ask you this question. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? I like that question. It didn't stop them from debating his age, but it stopped them from asking him the question. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? That's a great question. Because really, an honest answer to that question depends upon an honest admission of one's attitude. You know, it has nothing to do with one's age, does it? It has to do with how old you feel or how old you think you are or basically your attitudes toward yourself and toward your life. Now, I'm not saying that there's not signs that one is getting older. I ran across some of them and I'll throw them out in case you are wondering whether you're getting older. You know you're getting older when most of your dreams are reruns. You know you're getting older when the airline attendant offers you coffee, tea, or milk of magnesia. You know you're getting older when you sit down in a rocking chair and you can't get it started. You know, you know you're getting older when the little gray-haired lady you help across the street is your wife. Hey, I don't write this stuff. I just find it, I share it with you. You do whatever you want with it. You don't like it, I agree, I agree with you. That wasn't very nice at all. That wasn't good on it. You know you're getting older when you watch a pretty girl go by and your pacemaker makes the garage door go up. Okay. That's interesting. Now, those of you who are retired, I, I'm sure will get the message. I like what one gentleman found. You know, you, you, you fall into this rut of inactivity. And one gentleman said this, I get up each morning, dust off my wits. I pick up the paper and read the obits. If my name is missing, I know I'm not dead. So I eat a good breakfast and go back to bed. <laughs> Quite the day. I like what one older woman says. She said, you know, the preacher came by to visit me. And he said, you know, at your age, you really should be considering the hereafter. And he said, I told him, I, I do consider it. She goes, when I go upstairs in the bedroom, when I go downstairs in the kitchen, when I'm out in the backyard, when I'm down in the basement, no matter where I am, I ask myself the question, what am I here after? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's those types of things that will, you know, make us understand that, uh, you know, some of us are getting older. Now, the longer I live, the more I'm convinced that our major battle in life is not with growing old, but it's with growing up. It's not with, with growing old, it's with growing up. Because, you know, growing old, there is no choice involved. We're all involuntary victims of aging. But the real challenge is the choice of whether or not to grow up. Jesus said this, why even worry about, you know, a cubit, a single cubit or span of your life? He goes, why worry about, you know, whether you're going to be here tomorrow? Why worry about whether you're getting older or not? Why worry about all these things? Because worry doesn't change any of that. Aging is inevitable. It's just part of the consequences of disobedience to God. Aging's inevitable. But the real choice or the challenge is 
growing up. In this, which is our 16th and last session of our study that we, we, we chose to call, you know, choosing joy or choose joy, we'll see that there is joy to be found in growing up. There's joy to be found in growing up. Now, before we address that question, I want to give you a preview of coming attractions, so to speak. Uh, next week, Dave Dunn has uh, agreed to fill in for me, which I appreciate very much. He does a wonderful job. So Dave's going to be filling in, but we're going to take a, a break. And then for four weeks, starting the following week, which will be two weeks from today, we'll do a short four-week series on stress management. And it's a good time to do it because in the summer we're supposed to unwind and supposed to relax. And what I'm finding is most people go on vacation and they get more stressed out and they need another vacation when they get back from vacation. So maybe there's something to be said with stress management. We saw that worry causes stress and God's answer was don't worry but pray where there are other things in life that cause worry as well. And then after that, in September, we'll do the finance series that we started to do in our marriage series that many of you signed up. We had 140 some people sign up for more information on finances. I, I wanted to wait and give you a break in between working on your marriages and working on your finances. So I snuck this choose joy in the middle of that because trust me, you're gonna need to recognize that that's gonna be a definite choice you're gonna have to make. So we'll do that in the fall. So that kind of give you an idea of what's going on. And then I've got a gal who said that for years she's been asking me to do uh, a study on the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And I think that uh, we'll probably do that um, after the finance series. So that'll give you an idea of what's coming up. That way I know what's coming up. So we're all in, in line together. Anyway, some of you are thinking that, you know what, uh, choosing, you know, choosing to grow up, um, some of you think, well, Chuck, that's a great idea. But you know what? Some of you, and I look around, and most of you are still older than me. You have been for the last 12, 14 years, and you continue to be to this day. And, uh, you know, it's life. That's the way it goes. But anyway, the point of the matter is, is uh, you know, some of you are thinking, you know what? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, let me just address that with this, with this thought. Number one, you're not a dog. You may be older, but you're not a dog. Now, the reason I say you can't teach an old dog new tricks is because that's what we use as a cop-out when it comes to growing up or changing as we grow older. Well, you're not a dog. You're a human being that has the ability to make choices. You have the ability to make decisions. God has given that to you. So really, growing up is a choice that you have the ability to make. Not only that, but if you're a Christian, you not only have the ability to make that choice, but you have a, an indwelling spirit of God who lives within you, who gives you the power and the strength, strength and the dynamics to be able to change. Now, if you're not a Christian, you need to take care of that, and we'll discuss that as we go through this. But the, but the point is that you're not an old dog, and, one, and, I, and the second thing is, and I'm not trying to teach you a trick. What I'm trying to do is give you uh, information that you can think about, you can contemplate, you can dwell on, you can apply, you can throw away, you can do whatever you want with it, but it's valuable information that if you incorporate it into your life, there's going to be changes that will take place. You know, it's important to recognize and understand, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. It's important to recognize that God's greatest challenge to each of us is that He wants us to grow up. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see a sample of that. God repeatedly wants maturity to be at the top of our list of things to do, goals to set and to strive for. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 14. First of all, he's talking about the fact that since you have now put your faith and trust in Christ and that you are to be a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, verse 13, he says this in verse 14. As a result, now that you've put your faith and trust in Christ as a child of God, because of that, we are no longer to be little children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. What he's saying is we're not to get caught up in everything that you hear. You don't believe everything that you hear. Throughout Philippians, we saw that we should pray that we would have a discerning love for others, that we would approve that which is excellent, that we would recognize truth from error, that we would know right from wrong. He's saying as a Christian, we have the ability to do that now, and you can't believe everything that you hear. You know, you run into people that, you know, everything they hear, oh, that sounds good. Well, it may sound good, but it doesn't mean that it is good. And we need to be able to examine it and check it against the Word of God, which is all truth. He says, you know what, but speaking the truth in love, we're to what? We're to grow up 
in all aspects into Christ who is the head. That we're to grow up. In, in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 2, we read this, Therefore, putting aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. That you'd grow up, that you're not satisfied with being a little child, but that you would strive to become more mature in what you believe in and who you believe in. In Hebrews, turn to that, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 12. As the writer of the Hebrews addressed, he says, you know, by this time, man, I mean, by now, you ought to be teachers. You have, you have need again, but you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. What he's saying is that by this point in your life, you should know what you believe. And yet here we are going through the same thing over and over again. We're going back to the fundamentals, to the basics, who you believe in, why you believe in him, what he's done for you. You know, what is salvation and all these things that you have to understand and know. You know, is it just Jesus only or is it Jesus plus all these things that we got to do? How do, you, how do you know whether you're really going to heaven or not? All these issues should be addressed and firmly addressed in your own mind as an individual. He says, man, you should know that by now. But here we are again. I'm going back to feeding you milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is still a baby. He says, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I like what he's saying. He's saying that, hey, not only do you know this, but now because you've applied it in your life and you've practiced it and you've lived it, now you understand how true it really is. And it's important to recognize that Every time that we open this book and we study it, every lesson or, or message that you hear, the bottom line of all of it is not just to give you more information, but to give you information that you will apply in your life. And then you'll see how much it changes and it produces growth and maturity in our lives. We need to recognize that. We're all growing older, and that's inevitable. But just because you're growing older doesn't mean you're growing up. I'll give you an example. I'm driving down the road, and I think many of you have probably seen this, but I see on this nice sport, sporty type car, an older person driving the car. And it was a sports car, and it was a typical, you know, stereotypical scene of uh, an older person driving a sports car. And on the back of the sports car, this is what the bumper said, bumper sticker said, I may be growing older, but what? I refuse to grow up. Now I see that, and, and, and at first it's kind of funny until you stop and consider what that message is, what that statement is. I may be growing older, but I refuse to grow up. Now that's funny at first, unless you're married to that person. True? That's funny at first, unless you're a child or children of such a person. That's funny at first, unless you're an employer of such a person. You see, that childish irresponsibility that really that statement is being made, hey, I'm growing older, but I'm never gonna grow up, is an indication of a culture that we live in that is, that is basically throwing responsibility out the window. And that's why we're in the position that we're in. We need to understand as childish as it is to run out and play in the street, that's as childish as it is for a child of God to be content on remaining just a child of God and not growing into a man or a woman of God. So we need to recognize that that's the case. You know, we need to forget also, I also want to just encourage you too, some of you as you get older, you think that, you know what, I can't change. It's not you can't change, you won't change. And there's a huge difference between the two. We all can change. God is an agent of change. Some of you are thinking, I can't change because you're always looking behind you. That's why Paul said, forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. A term that was used of a chariot racer who was reaching over the reins and hitting his horse. He's saying, forget what's behind you. Don't be worrying about what's back of you. Even Satchel Paige, after his baseball days were done, he was a speaker that went around and gave uh, speeches to different uh, functions. And he had six rules for staying young. And the sixth one was this. He said, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. I like that. And that's exactly what God says. Stop looking back. Some of you are saying, I can't change because of all the stuff that I've done in my past. Hey, God doesn't care about what you did in your past. 
I don't care about what you did in your past. People around you shouldn't care about what you did in your past. And what I would say to you is, now you need to stop caring about what you've done in your past, both good and bad, and press on to what lies ahead. Today's a whole new day. What is today? July what, 14th? Start today, start fresh today. Forget about the past and move forward. And if God's saying to you today and what he wants to teach you, he's saying you need to change in these areas, then you need to say, God, you know what? I didn't think I could change, but with your help, I believe that I can change. And I want you to change me into the person you want me to be. I'm tired of being a child in a 70-year-old body. I need to grow up. And as we go through it, you'll see that it's important that we do. There's joy in growing up. There really is. Now, the question is, what does it mean to be mature? There's all kinds of different ideas, all kinds of different answers. Uh, you know, we need to look at it and say growing up. Uh, definition maturity is being fully developed, complete, growing up. It's a process of consi consistently moving forward or moving ahead. You know, I've taken two steps forward and maybe one step backwards. It's a process that we leave childish and adolescent habits and lifestyles behind us. Even the Apostle Paul said, he goes, you know what? When I was a child, I thought like a child. And it was okay when I was a child to think like a child. But you know what? When I became a man, what did he do? I left childish ways behind me. Every wedding that I do, I think that that's probably one of the key statements that you can make to a couple who are getting married. You two are no longer children. You're adults. And it's time to leave your childish ways behind. Move forward. There's evidence that we're growing old. And there's also evidence of whether a person's growing up. The test you gotta ask yourself is this, am I growing up? From the moment that I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whenever that was, whether it was last week, whether it was 10 years ago, whether it was 20 or 40 years ago, the question you gotta ask yourself is, where have I come from that point until today? Am I a mature person? Am I growing in my faith and knowledge of, of who I say I believe in and what I say I believe? One person summarized maturity this way. Maturity is the ability to do a job whether you are supervised or not. To finish a job once it's started. To carry money around without having to spend it all. And last but not least, the ability to bear an injustice without wanting to get even. It's not bad. You know, it's not a bad definition, but as good a definition that is, it's more important to ask yourself the question, what does God say is or the characteristics, what does God say are the characteristics of a person who is mature in their faith? A spiritually mature person, a spiritually grown up person. And it's really a self-test and it's also gonna be the last message that we get from the book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter four and we'll take a look at this last section and uh, we'll move on from there. Philippians chapter four. In this, in this session, we're gonna find four characteristics of a person who is spiritually mature, of a person who's moving forward in their faith. And it's a real good self-examination. Philippians chapter four, start with verse 10. It says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that it now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. It says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am supplied, I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphrodites what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God." And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are, are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the peace 
and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In this section, he gives us four, four characteristics of a person who is spiritually mature. The first one is this. Being spiritually mature or grown up means that we are content in all things. We are content in all things. As we go through this, we recognize that, you know what, for many of us, there is a definite sense of, of uh, a lack of contentment in our life. And as we look at this, there's three things that we need to understand before we do this. Well, first of all, before we look at that, you know, we need to recognize, too, who is this that's writing this? Throughout this, and the thing I love to do about a book study is there's a continuity to it. We have to remember, hey, who is this guy that's writing this? You know, is this some superstar athlete who just signed a five-year, $25 million contract or a one-year, $25 million contract or getting a seven-year, $95.5 million offer? I mean, is this, is this the guy who, who, you know, just graduated from an Ivy League school with an MBA and he's being recruited by businesses all over the country and they're offering him great starting salaries and benefits and bonuses and he's going to have country club memberships and all the rest to go with it? I mean, is this, you know, some young guy whose whole life is ahead of him and he's got the world by the tail and he's swinging it any way that he wants to swing it? I mean, who's writing these words about being content in all things? Some 60-some-year-old Jewish man who is chained to a Roman guard who has gone through a whole bunch of stuff in his life, and he's saying this, you know what? I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you have renewed your concern for me. Man, this, this is a man who practiced what he preached. This is a man who said, don't dwell on things that, that'll, that'll tear you down. Dwell on those things that are positive, that are true, that are lovely, of good repute. If there's anything worthy of praise or excellence, let your mind dwell on these things. You think he's sitting in a prison somewhere feeling sorry for himself and all the stuff that he's gone through in his life? What he's saying is that, hey, you know what? Let your mind dwell on the positive things and start, stop dwelling on negative things. Saying, don't worry about what's behind you and what's happened in your past. Just live for the moment because today may be the last moment that God gives you on the face of the earth. What are you worrying about everything yesterday for? And what are you worrying about your past? And what are you worrying about your future? You may not even get to see it anyway. See, God is saying, you know what? We need to just grasp the moment, take this advantage of this moment in time. Some of you can't even enjoy being here at this moment because you're thinking about all the other things you need to do at the next moment. And you may not even get there. So all I'm saying is just for, you know, give me, do yourself a favor and give me your attention for the next few minutes and listen and learn and, and see what God's trying to teach you as to how to apply these things in your life. And he's saying as you do it, you'll find there's joy in growing up. A spiritually mature person is content in all things. And there's three things that will be true of them. Number one, contentment is seen in our attitudes towards other people our attitudes toward other people. Look what he says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. He's saying, indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Look at his attitude is. He acknowledges and affirms the fact that the slightest interest that these people had in him. He's sitting in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. And this is what he's saying to him. Hey, you know what? I just want to commend you on wanting to meet my needs. I'm glad that you revived your concern for me, but what he's really saying is that, you know what, there was a time where you didn't do anything to meet my needs, but it wasn't because you, you, you didn't want to. It was because maybe you didn't know where I was. You didn't know I was in prison in Rome. You didn't know I had been shipwrecked off of Malta. You, you didn't really know where I was. There was no way to keep track of me, and yet I give you the benefit of the doubt knowing that you were concerned for me. See, a content person has an attitude that says, you know what, hey, I give other people the benefit of the doubt. I'm not cynical and negative and, and bitter and critical of everyone around me. A content, mature person says, you know what, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I know that you wanted to meet my needs, but you just lack the opportunity. Now that the opportunity has come, you're going to meet my needs. And you know what? And I just want to praise you for that and thank you for that. And he gives them the benefit of the doubt. It's important that, that, that we recognize a mature grown-up shows appreciation for what others do. Isn't that true? Think about it. As a parent, what do you try to teach your children? First words that you teach your children, say, well, they want say please. And now you give it to them. And then what do you say? Say thank you. I mean, isn't that one of the first things you teach your children growing up? To say please and to say thank you? When someone gives them something or does something for them, acknowledge it. Thank you. As parents, we teach our children to say thank you, and yet we don't even apply the same common courtesy and respect toward people around us who meet our needs and do things for us. 
Does anybody see a little hypocrisy there? If you're going to teach your children to say thank you for things that people have done for them, isn't it about time you said thank you to people who have done things for you? See, a mature person, a, 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 an adult, a spiritually mature person recognizes what other people does and says thank you and appreciates them. But more importantly than that, that person also affirms that person. See, saying thank you has to do with them doing a task for you. But when you affirm them as a person, you build their character and you thank them or, or affirm that there's something good in them, that they're honest, they have integrity, they're hardworking, there's a value there that you're trying to help them to develop and say, you know what, I'm affirming the fact that, you know what, you're, a, you're, a, you're an honest person. You're a trustworthy person. You know, I'm glad that you did that job without being watched and you did it right and you did it well. Just not I appreciate the task that you did, but I affirm the value, the character behind the task that you did. It's important that we recognize that. Any good leader will recognize that. Max Dupree is the chairman and chief executive officer of Herman Miller Incorporated. And, uh, he's, and they're a furniture maker and was named one of Fortune Magazine's 10 best managed and most innovative companies. Let me just read to you an event that took place. It was also chosen as one of the 100 best companies to work for in America. In his book, Leadership is an Art, Dupree touches on the importance of understanding and acknowledging the diversity of people's inner gifts and unseen talents. This is what he describes, and I believe he's describing affirmation. He writes this, my father is 96 years old. He's the founder of Herman Miller and much of the value system and impounded energy of the company, a legacy still drawn on today, is a part of his contribution. It says, in the furniture industry in the 1920s, the machines of most factories were not run by electric motors, but by pulleys from a central drive shaft. The central drive shaft was run by the steam engine. The steam engine got its steam from the boiler. The boiler, in our case, got its fuel from, a, from the sawdust and other waste coming out of the machine room. It was a beautiful cycle. It says, the millwright was the person who oversaw that cycle and on whom the entire activity of the operation depended. He was a key person. Well, one day, the millwright died. My father, who was a young manager at the time, did not particularly know what he should do when a key person died, but he thought at least he should go visit the family. He went to the house, was invited to join the family in the living room. There were some awkward conversations, the kind with which many of us are familiar. He says, the widow asked my father if it would be all right if she read aloud some poetry. Naturally, he agreed. She ran into another room, came back with a bound book, and for many minutes read selected pieces of beautiful poetry. When she finished, my father commented on how beautiful the poetry was and asked who wrote it. She replied that her husband had written it. Her husband, the millwright, was the poet. It is now 60 years later since the millwright died and my father and many of us at Herman Miller, Herman Miller continue to wonder, was he a poet who did millwright's work or was he a millwright who wrote poetry? says, in our effort to understand corporate life, what is it we should learn from the story? In addition to all the ratios and goals and parameters and bottom lines, it is fundamental that leaders endorse a concept of persons. This begins with an understanding of the diversity of people's gifts and talents and skills. Contentment is seen in our attitude toward others, the ability to appreciate and also to affirm them as what? A person. Not as a doer of a task, but as a human being that God loved and created in His image and His likeness. Contentment is seen also in our ability to adjust to changing circumstances. Look what he writes. He says, you know, I'm not saying this because I, I'm in need, for I've learned. He's saying, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in poverty or in want, or plenty or want. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Contentment is seen in our ability to adjust to changing circumstances. Some of us hate change. We resist it. We fight it, we struggle, and we try, to, and you know what? And if you're holding on to the past, I'll guarantee you, you're not gonna like change. Because today may be different than yesterday. 
And it was different than the day before, and it was different than four years ago or ten years ago. And some of the most immature people that I run into in the world today are people who are always dwelling on what things, way things used to be. But, but it didn't used to be like this. And these are grown-ups. These are adults. These are older people who still do the same thing that children do. But it didn't used to be like this. I remember when. When? 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 So what? 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 Who cares? 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 You know, what in the world? Who cares what it used to be? What will destroy you in a business is worrying about, hey, how it used to be and why it's not that way anymore. Hey, you got to deal with the way it is. The same with your relationship. Hey, it's not what it used to be. Well, then you know what? Make it something better. Stop dwelling on the way things used to be. Nothing is the way it used to be. You're not the way you used to be. Just as there are signs that you're getting older, look in the mirror, you grab your glasses and put them on. You never had to do that before. You know, that's just a signal. That's a sign. There's something, you know, happening here to me. And the same thing holds true in every other area of your life. Things aren't the way they used to be. And that's good. Because they're the way they are. And that's all we have to deal with. See, he's saying that, you know what? And being in the heating and air conditioning business, and being a contractor who, who um, where's Larry? Did he leave? Oh, okay. Not, well, just being in the heating and air conditioning business, I have found, and, and this way I got to do things in life to help me to relate and understand. I have found there's two types of people. There are thermometers and there are thermostats. Now, this is deep. This is heavy. You're going to like it, though. What does a thermometer do? A, th a thermometer tells you what's going on in its surrounding. Right? That's all it does. Some of us are thermometers. Whatever group we're in, that's what we become. We just register what's going on around us. Now, a thermostat, on the other hand, it dictates what's going to happen at any given moment. The thermostat tells the air conditioning system, it's time for you to come on. Let's go. Let's get to it. See, some of us are thermostats. We just, uh, we blend in. We just record what's going on around us. But what God's saying is, hey, if you're going to be mature, then you need to become a thermostat, brother. You need to become a thermostat. You, you need to be able to dictate what's going on in any situation and not merely reflect what's happening around you. God's people are called to be thermostats. Not just light, not just salt, but we're called to be thermostats. Digital, programmable by God. Right? You know, that's true. That's exactly what we're called. And you know what? And, and how do you learn to be content? How does a person learn to be content? You know how you learn to be content? It's called the yo-yo, God's yo-yo principle. God's yo-yo principle. If I had a yo-yo, this is what I'd be doing right now. And that's why the brain kind of might hurt myself. Here's the way it works. Yo-yo principle. You're going to have your down times. And you're going to have your up times. You're going to have your down times, up times, down times, up times, down times, up times, down times. And sometimes you're going to be hanging, hanging and dangling from the bottom of the string, wondering if there's any hope. And what Paul is saying is that, you know what? You know how I learned to be content? Well, one day I was out floating in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, hanging on to a piece of old lumber that came off a ship. And as I bobbed up and down, I had plenty of time to think about the fact that, you know what, when I'm laying on the beach with an iced tea in my hand, have a little suntan lotion on me, I like that too. I like that. See, I like working because I know what it's like to be unemployed. I enjoy having savings because I know what it's like not having any money. I like laying on the beach because I know what it's like to have to work for a living. I like being healthy because I know what it's like to be sick. What else? You see the point? I like when our marriage is going well because I know what it's like when it's not. You see, what God's trying to tell us is this. Chuck, you know what? The only way you can learn the secret of contentment is I got to take you on my yo-yo principle. I know what it's like to play in the game 
because I know what it's like to be benched. And there's a sense of hunger and urgency and gratefulness that goes along with understanding God's blessings. But what he's saying is this. But I also learned, you know what? While I was floating on that log in the middle of the Mediterranean, not only is it our ability to be flexible that's important, but you know what else he says is, hey, it's our assurance of God's provision. A content person, a content person has that attitude toward others that affirms and appreciates. A content person has the ability to be flexible. And in the middle of all of those things, have a good attitude. Why? Because there's an assurance, a confidence that God is in control. If I'm, if I'm unemployed, God's in control. If I'm broke, God's in control. If we're on vacation and laying on a beach somewhere and we can thank God we had money to go somewhere, then I know that God's in control. I have an assurance that God is in control. And let me just tell you something too. Many Christians can adjust to what they call the down times or down cycles in life. Oh, I'm suffering and I'm sick. Well, oh, that's okay because God's in control. Oh, I'm unemployed and I'm looking for a job. That's okay. God's in control. Oh, you know, I don't have any money. Well, that's okay. God's in control. You know what? For every 100 of us that can handle adversity, only one can handle prosperity. And what I find is that many Christians begin to apologize when God blesses them. And I'm not preaching some health and welfare gospel doctrine nonsense garbage. I'm not saying that every person has to be rich and drive a car and have a Rolex. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is this. When God blesses you, stop looking for reasons why. Stop trying to totally understand it. I've got a friend who was here. Well, he's visiting with us. And Kevin said, Chuck, I don't understand. I played in this league for 12 or 13 seasons. I have been blessed beyond all my wildest imaginations. I have never been hurt in 13 years in the NFL as an outside linebacker. That's unheard of. And, and, and I've been blessed with these great contracts. Why is God doing this? Because he wants to. That's why but I'm not worthy exactly. But why is he doing it? Because he wants to. But I don't understand it. You're an outside linebacker. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> you saw how big he was. I'm going to say that. I had to live with the Beauty and the Beast comment all afternoon. Beauty and the Beast? What is there? Yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Where'd you come up with that? Uh, that little guy in the front row told me to say it. Um, but the point of the matter is, God chooses to do what he wants to do. And what I'm trying to get across to you is this. The mature person is content right where they are in hunger and in abundance, in health and in sickness, in freedom and imprisonment, the content person sees God's hand in everything. And he said, I've learned it because I recognize that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I don't know if you understand that, but I wrote down a whole bunch of things and I thought, you know what? my sufficiency is not in myself. It's not in my abilities. It's not in my intelligence. It's not in my education. It's not in anything. Because if you sit down and I'm going to ask you a question, can you do all things through drugs? No. Can you do all things through education? No. I can do all things with money? No. I can do all things through success? No. I can do everything through effort. No, you can't. I can do all things through friends. No. I can do all things through positive thinking and a good attitude. No. I can do all things through a political life, a, a, a position in government, and I have control. No. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Amen. That's true. We need to recognize that. The second thing is that mature person also is concerned about others. 
not only content in all things, but mature person is concerned about other people. It's just not them that they care about. We've seen it already. Consider others more important than yourselves. Have this attitude, which was also in Christ, who though existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what? He emptied himself. He humbled himself. See, this, this, the mature person here is concerned about others. The people of the Philippians were commended, affirmed. They were appreciated by Paul because they, they rose up and they met his need. A mature person is concerned about other people. We need to recognize that. You know, and sometimes the bottom line is, is that we need to be able to respond to others in, in the area of, hey, you know what? Sometimes we're going to have to write a check. Sometimes we're going to have to give something up. Sometimes we're going to have to give something of value to us when we see a need of another person. You know what? Sometimes it's just going to take cold, hard cash to be a barometer of where you are in your maturity level as far as a, a Christian is concerned. Think about that. Probably our checkbook, and we'll talk about it in, in, in this series, but our checkbook is probably the best barometer of what we really believe spiritually. We put our money where our belief is. You know, in this day and age, it's sad because there's so many distorted ideas about money. But you know what? The bottom line is this. Money is amoral. It's neutral. Money is a tool. It's a test that God uses to see where we're at spiritually. It's a tool that we can help to meet the needs of other people. It's a testimony of our belief that God can supply all of our needs according to His riches and His glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Sometimes it just takes cash. I like what Sophie Tucker wrote. She wrote, she wrote this. From birth to 18, a girl needs good parents. From 18 to 35, she needs good looks. From 35 to 55, she needs a good personality. From 55 on, she just needs the cash. <laughs> Again, I just found it. I just share it with you. Alrighty. Number three, third thing is, it also means a mature person is confident of God's supply. You know, and maybe this is what it takes. Maybe some of us need to live 60-some years and go through all the things that the Apostle Paul went through before we can finally learn the secret of being content. But his summary of everything he's been trying to tell us is this. And my God, personal God, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my God. And my God, whom I've got to know intimately throughout my lifetime, who I've had many conversations with, who I've seen him respond in many different circumstances and situations. And I know that my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And he said, amen. I'm just telling you, that's just the way it is. See, the mature person sees God's hand in everything and sees God's ability to meet every need according to God's will, not your will or my will. There's maturity in that. There's maturity when a child begins to grow up and sees that his parents have his or her best interest in mind. And when you tell them something one way or the other, instead of throwing a fit, instead of arguing, instead of pouting, instead of crying about it, they stand back and they say, you know what? One thing I know about my mother and my father, my mom and dad love me and they want what's best for me. And that child, as he grows or she grows into maturity, will take an attitude that says, yeah, I may not agree with this right now, but, but, but I'm going to go along with it because I, they have never let me down so far, and they have always been there for me, and they know what's best for me. It's a childish person who pouts and, and, and stamps their feet and wants their way. Let me tell you something. I've learned this about my life. I don't, I don't know if I really want my way anymore. I am deadly serious about this. Because I thought I had a certain way that I wanted things done, a certain thing that I wanted to happen in my life, and I've realized, you know what, God's got my best interest at heart, and He knows more than I'll ever know, and so it's getting to the point where it's easier and easier to say, God, I, hey, your will be done and not mine, because I'm not as sharp as I thought I was, and in fact, I think I, might, I must be growing up. And the last thing is this, a spiritually mature person is committed to God's purposes in life. To God's purposes, not to your own, but to God's. He says, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. God's purpose is that we encourage one another, that we build each other up, that we affirm one another, that we weep with those who weep, but we also rejoice with those who rejoice. God's purpose in life is that we build each other up, that we say things that are edifying for the need of that moment, that we can give grace to others. God's purpose also, the brothers who are with me send greetings. All of the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. God's purpose is that we never forget to reach out to others. Understand something here. When Paul was chained to a Roman prisoner 
and he wasn't free to, quote, go about and tell other people about Jesus, he realized that, hey, I'm going to tell people right here where I'm at. I can't worry about where I'm not. I can't even worry about where I've been. He wasn't sitting there saying, I'm stuck to one person all day, and I used to go into cities and preach to thousands of people and tell thousands of people that God loved them, thousands of people that Jesus died for them, thousands of people that the only way to get to heaven is to trust in Jesus Christ. I told thousands, and now I'm stuck here chained to one person? I forget what lies behind. I'm not even thinking about what lies ahead because I may be dead tomorrow. They may try and execute me. But one thing I know, right here and now, this person is chained next to me. He doesn't have a chance. <laughs> Think about that. God's purpose in life is that you glorify God right where you are. If you're sick, glorify God. If you're in the hospital, glorify God. If you're prospering and you're company goes public and you're making millions and millions of dollars, glorify God. And what I told Kevin was the same thing. To much who is given, much is expected. Where you are, glorify God. Not only with your actions, but also with your mouth. And be a testimony to the world of God's goodness in your life. No matter where you are, glorify God. And reach others with the message of God's love. See, that's really what it all comes down to. See, and there was the encouragement, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let me close with this. What does it mean to grow up? Ask yourself this question. Am I content in all things? More importantly than asking yourself, ask your spouse. Ask your children. Ask your friends. Do you come off to them as a content person? Do you show an attitude of appreciation and affirmation to people around you? Do you have the ability to adjust and to be flexible whenever things go differently than what you had anticipated? Or do you struggle and fight and scratch and claw to try to get it the way you thought it should be? Hey man, let me tell you something. A mature person goes with the flow. God, is this the way we're going today? And this way we're going to go today? Well, let's see what you have to do. Because I'm assured and confident that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The mature person is concerned about others has long since got from the days of me, 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 me. But you, 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 you. What can I do for you? A mature person is confident of God's supply. Seeing God work and is totally convinced and confident beyond a shadow of a doubt that, you know what, there's no situation that's too great for my God. And I know this, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. Number four, it means that we're committed to God's purposes in life. Right where we're at, we take advantage of it and we share with, with other people the love of God and the situation that he has us in. Let me close with, with, the, uh, with, uh, with this thought for you. You know, I was thinking this whole, this whole session has really come down to choose joy. Let me use joy as an acronym and put it all together. 16 weeks worth of stuff all in the next two minutes. And it comes down to this. Choose joy. J is for Jesus. J is for Jesus. You have a choice. You can believe what God says about him, or you can reject what God says about him. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that none of us are righteous, no, not one, that we were born with a congenital defect that's called sin, and it separates us from the love of God. And the wages of that sin is death, spiritual death, and also physical death as a result. But the wages of the sin is death. But God says that he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God is saying that you and I have a choice to either believe and choose to believe what he says about Jesus or reject it. We have a choice to believe that, you know what, it's by grace we're saved through faith and nothing else. It's a gift from God. God is offering you and I a gift. And like any gift, you have a choice to receive that gift and to say thank you or reject that gift and say, I don't need it. True joy begins when you choose to receive the gift that God has for you. Hey, this isn't a matter of whether your husband did or your wife did or your child did or your uncle did or your aunt did or your mother did or whatever. This comes down to you and you alone. God is offering you that gift. The question that I have for you is, have you received his gift or do you continue to reject it? The Bible says for those who reject it, that there is condemnation, 
that there is death, that there is destruction, that there is hell. But for those who receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. There's joy, there's hope, there's life, and life abundantly. You need to deal with that in your own heart. And I'm not putting pressure on anybody because God's Spirit will do that. But I'll just, I would just encourage you today, if you don't know what happens to you, if you died today, and you hope it's because you've gone to church all your life or because you've said enough prayers or because you've read your Bible or because you were a good person or you've done all these things and achieved all this stuff, don't forget what God reminded us. Man's achievements are rubbish in contrast to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It was a masterpiece of God. And who, which one of us could add anything to God's masterpiece? Which one of us could walk into the Louvre Museum in France and add a little bit of here and there to the Mona Lisa without destroying its value? Do you understand how important that it is that you believe what God says in entirety about the person and the work of Jesus Christ? For many of us who received Him, you need to receive Him. Joy starts with choosing to receive Jesus Christ. The O is for others. Joy is completed as we put others before ourselves. Jesus first, others second. Others before you. And the why is simple, and that's the why is for you. Jesus first, others second, and you and me are last. But the most remarkable thing about God's program is this. When you choose Jesus and you choose to put others before yourself, then all the needs that you ever had or ever think you'll have are going to be met beyond your wildest expectations. It's a paradox. I don't understand it. And that's not because I used to be an outside linebacker. It's because I just don't always understand the things of God. But all I know is this. When I chose Jesus and accepted Him as my Lord and Savior, and I put others first in my life. You know what? God takes care of you. He just does. And I can't think of a better way to end this whole message than with the benediction that the Apostle Paul gave to the Philippians. And he said, as we look at this and we go through it, you know, he says this, and may the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with you all. And all God's people said, amen.